Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back with Paul Cantor, who's the author of the book, Most Dope, The Extraordinary Life of Mac Miller, for a few more questions. You know, we talked about some of the records that he did, and and mixtapes are another thing. You know, people at my age probably listen to CDs or LPs, but do you have a favorite Mac Miller album or song, and where should newbies start to learn about his music? I think the best place to start with his music is actually with this book. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think you should get the book. Hey, I agree. Right. And yeah, you should get the book and read it, you know, say for an hour. And right when you start getting to the part where you get into his music, start listening to his music, um, go pull up the mixtapes and, and kind of go through it like that. And because the book sort of tracks the music chronologically And I think it gives a lot of context to what was going on at that time. I would probably start, you know, with the ill-spoken mixtape. You could start with the, 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 um, but my back it ain't easy, you know, mixtape. That one's a little, you know, questionable, (laughs) but, um, but I like the, the ill-spoken mixtape and then kind of go from, go from there. I think Macadelic is my favorite project, either that or best day ever. That was an early one, right? Yeah. Yeah. You could arguably say that was almost like his debut album. That was the one with Donald Trump on it. And that was when a lot of the energy was like really kind of at its peak. But yeah, I like Macadelic a lot. Uh, The song, The Question on there with Lil Wayne, which I talk about in the book. You know, I remember hearing that at the time it came out and that really like was some introspective stuff. It talks about on that song, looking in the mirror and like things not making sense. Mm. You know, he's questioning, says, who the fuck am I? You know what I mean? And it was like, everybody thinks that, you know what I'm saying? Like everybody, you know what I mean? Whether you're like 25 or 65, you know what I mean? Like that never stops. I don't know. I didn't really, hadn't really seen too many rappers like rap writing like that. You know what I mean? Um, Obviously, you know, being emotionally you know, vulnerable is not new in hip hop. The one, you know, the message, right? Grandmaster Flash and Furious Five. I mean, it literally says, I'm trying not to lose my head. Right. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, so it goes, you know, even in the earliest days, people were talking about mental health, <laughs> things like that. Yeah. I, I mean, I say all that to say that um, it was a little bit of a breath of fresh air with that. Yeah. Like the, that, that questioning. So I, I love that song. Um, yeah. The beats on that album are like really top notch too. I feel like that one is my favorite. When I, when I look back, I go to that one more often than, than the others. 
you mentioned Donald Trump, which was a single. And I think it's really important to point out that at the time, that was not a controversial take to be a fan, particularly in the hip hop world. Oh, not at all. I mean, the hip hop loved Donald Trump. I mean, if you're Kanye, I guess you still love him, right? <laughs> um, he was a symbol of, you know, American excess, right? And hip hop is, you know, for better or worse, IDs with that, right? That sort of alpha male posturing and a lot of the bravado that Trump had and probably still has. At that time, you know, he was like a guy on Twitter who was like very famous, right? And he was pretty funny. He was on The Apprentice and stuff like that. Um, He wasn't really like in this fringe territory, you know, that he would end up going in, but it was starting to happen around then. And so it was only maybe a year had passed, right, between, you know, Mac having the song. And I think, you know, that was around the 2012 election. So he kind of got very aggressive going into that election because he was flirting with running for president at that time. And I think he was starting, like the birtherism thing was kind of becoming the big thing, right? And, and, And that like created a little bit of an issue for Mac because... He had this song with this, you know, this guy's name and he was, it was almost like a celebration. It wasn't intentional, right? He was sort of using him as a, you know, as a vehicle to say, I'm like this person, right? It was. It's a metaphor. Yeah, it was a metaphor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, at, and at that time, that was very popular in, in hip hop. People were making songs. The rapper Future has a song, one of his first songs, right? With that got him known with Drake's called Tony Montana, right? Yeah. I mean, and, you know what I'm saying? And that's like the thing that blew him up, right? That was his Donald Trump. You know what I'm right. saying? It was right. like, take the alpha male, I'm like that. But some people, when they when they're not music heads, they take everything so literally, particularly like news networks, you know, and they just latch on to these things. And so it did become a little bit of like an albatross, you know, in some sense, right? He even stopped performing it for right. a while, you know? And and he learned a little bit too, because I think if Trump didn't sue him, he, he started lashing out at him uh, at some point. He did. But... He threatened to sue him. I think that there was always this, there was always this sort of question mark about whether he did. He never did. No. And that actually was an interesting thing that I learned because I always thought that he sued him. And, you know, originally when Trump heard that, you know, Mac had named the song after him, he didn't know who Mac was, but right. he just thought that was cool. Right. Because he, he was like, yeah, that's cool. You know, he, he's a narcissist, you know, like this guy's got this big song. Then I think he, he started seeing it as like, I need money from this. Right. You know, it was kind of like. He threatened him, and and I think that was on top of the Lord Finesse thing, which was also a ten million, you know, like a, a ten million dollar lawsuit too. So it was almost like Mac was kind of getting, I don't want to say canceled, but there was a lot of pushback to him, right? He has like the pitchfork thing, he has the Lord Finesse thing, and he has the Trump thing all happening right around the same time. And those things, when you have, you know, this, you know, not necessarily like the best life habits, yeah. right? They could, you know, take you in directions, you know what I'm saying, that aren't all that positive, you know? <laughs> yeah. We talked a little bit about the hurdles that white rappers faced. And is it fair to say as big as he was, Vanilla Ice kind of ruined things. <laughs> Eminem made him better. And then Mac took it to another level. Um, I think the, the, the reason why I kind of try to give a little bit of a compact history of all these guys was to show that there was some there were some similarities in their developments all of them right whether it was vanilla ice or eminem 
or Mac Miller, right? They all had like some connective tissue that frankly might connect even for artists who aren't white, right? I mean, it was just this sort of standard trope of the biography of like a up and coming rapper. But with the white rappers, you know, it kind of starts with this like, I'm a white dude going into, you know, a black neighborhood, you know, and I'm engaging with the culture in ways that are um, a little more significant than, I don't know, just sitting at home and just doing whatever it is you're doing. Like Vanilla Ice has a thing where he's dancing at the City Lights nightclub, right? And they're like doing the go white boy, go white boy, go. And they think it's, it's a novelty. It's cool. Right. It's like, here's like this white dude who, you know what I'm saying, can dance and like, you know, which isn't probably all that unique in, in theory. Right. But probably at that time in those spaces might have been right. I mean, America is pretty segregated now. We're coming out of a period of deep racialization and almost like a, you know, a move back to some, you know, pre-civil rights, you know, yeah. with the way everything has been, you know what I'm saying? the lens in which things were really being looked at through race were way more pronounced, you know, in say 1988 than they were in 98 and much different than they were in say 2008, right? right? In the sort of post Obama world. So I wanted to sort of show how that happened and show what the response was from the community of industry insiders and tastemakers and gatekeepers who helped kind of make these things happen, right? With Vanilla Ice, you get this pushback. It's a cultural pushback. We don't really like this version of the success that you're presenting. There's a lot of rappers who probably should be getting this spotlight. And that didn't just happen to him. It happened to MC Hammer too, right? You know, who was kind of almost a model for him to walk in, right? He was like, he was the Wiz Khalifa that Vanilla Ice was, you know, coming behind, right? Then with, with Eminem, you see, they can't even get him a deal. They're like trying to make cartoon characters to sort of like shield the fact that he's a white guy. And then you have this sort of pervasive vibe, which was which was at that time and a little bit getting into Max period, which is you had white people in the music industry who just didn't even want to engage with these guys. They were kind of like persona non grata. And I think Mac was dealing with that a little bit. Ultimately, the really interesting thing was a lot of his pushback came from people outside of the hip hop space. Pitchfork obviously is a well-respected, you know, outlet of music journalism. But at that time, I wouldn't say they were like that invested in hip hop, right? They were like kind of a, a rock, you know, website. All of a sudden they came in with like, hey, we're going to speak up for like hip hop, <laughs> right? And uh, uh, there was like a white guy writing a review. It, the whole thing was weird. I think the reviewer, you know, Jordan Sargent, who wrote it, he obviously overstepped. I mean, I interviewed him and he acknowledged that. He didn't necessarily have a regret, but he knew that it was a different time online back then. Right. And people were way more inflammatory in, in written language. Now that's all on social media. But back then it was like blogs and it was very toxic. You know, it was Perez Hilton, Gawker, everything was like very snarky. Hmm. You know, that was a big thing, you know, like provocative. You know, so he dealt with it. By and large, I mean, there was people that didn't like him in the in the hip hop culture. Uh, the rapper Danny Brown, who was very popular at that time, he was like kind of a popular, like quote unquote hipster rapper. 
Um, I think he's in a Rolling Stone article at that time. He literally is just like, I hate Mac Miller. Yeah. And he asked him why. And he's like, I don't even know. I wow. just hate him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then they wound up being friends. Once you kind of knew him, it was very hard to like dislike him. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, and that came up a lot with people I interviewed. People would say, oh, I didn't know how I felt about this person, you know, and then I kind of got into it. You know, I got met him and, and it changed my opinion. Well, I'll echo that. Paul Cantor, the author of Most Dope, The Extraordinary Life of Mac Miller. I really enjoyed your book. And one last just a comment is I see sitting behind your head a copy of your book. I do have to say as a graphic designer who who really has worked more with music, I love the cover photograph. I think after reading the book, it really illustrates, you know, kind of who he was and the personality and and it's it's really perfect. So congrats on that. Oh, thank you. I got to give a shout out to Abrams, who uh, is the publisher, the photographer. His name is Kristan Felber. He shot that photo at the last photo shoot that uh, I think Mac ever did, which was a New York magazine uh, photo shoot for their vertical vulture. Um, They spent about 30, 40 minutes together. And that shot, him, you know, peering through his fingers was not used in the published piece. Um, the po- the piece was published a few days before he passed, and the website didn't have any interest in that photo. Wow. They they used a different shot, which was like kind of a portrait, um, a little more stoic. And then when he passed, they went and they looked back at the photos and were like, "Oh, well, this one is really good." You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, let's let's get this one. That photo is like kind of an iconic thing now. I've seen people with tattoos of it. Um, I've seen all kinds of merch with, you know, with it. My book has it, you know, it's this very iconic image. And it was this thing that literally wasn't even, you know, it was an outtake, which goes to show you the value of things, you know, that are on a cutting room floor. You know what I'm saying? Always. Well, thank you, Paul. Again, I recommend your book and thank you for spending some time with us. Good luck. All right. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this teaser, have a listen to the complete podcast episode on your favorite podcast provider. Please follow, subscribe, and share. And thanks for listening to All Music Podcasts, a member of Pantheon Media. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett.
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.